Good morning. How you guys doing today? How's your weekend going? Excellent. Let's keep the momentum. First John 2 is where we're at. First John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. If you have your Bible, put your thumb there, and we'll get to it in a moment. If you don't have one, we have a bunch in the back. Feel free at any time to jump up and go get one of those Bibles. If you don't have one, take it home. Um, I want to make sure that you know if you're welcome here. You may be checking us out. Maybe you're not a believer. Uh, maybe you are. Maybe you've been serving the Lord for years. Uh, you have a home here. And if you're not a Christian, like, I don't want you to feel like an outsider. I want you to get your questions answered. You have good questions. Uh, God is interested in making sure that we as a family answer those questions. So feel welcome here as we walk through uh, the book of First John here. Uh, also, uh, this is the first, the one-year anniversary of uh, the service that we launched uh, over in Clarendon, Clarendon campus, the eating service led by Pastor Steve Reed. So can we just give him a hand? They're doing great over there. Yeah. They're, they're baptizing someone today, a new believer. So we're, we're just so thankful for what the Lord is doing over there. All right, we're going to jump in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some shows. Tell me if you've seen them. L.A. Law. Mm-hmm, that's what I thought. Law and Order. Allie McBeal. All right, we're getting, we're, we're moving up the spectrum here. Uh, Boston Legal, come on, my favorite. Danny Crane, nobody? All right, wow. All right, I'm old, I can do this. The Practice, Suits, CSI, Chicago Justice, no, Better Call Saul, that one? Okay, all right. Why are we fixated on shows and even literature and books that feature courtroom drama? What is it about lawyer shows? I mean, I like lawyers as much as the next guy. Um, (laughs) Hey, we have lawyers here, all right? Why is it that we love to watch the courtroom drama? Because make no mistake about it, we love it. We want to watch it. We want to see how it goes. Um, As we get into our text today, one of the words we're going to see is advocate, that Jesus fulfills a role that you're probably not going to be comfortable with. But we think about it a lot. It's something that we watch. And here's why. I was speaking to somebody this week about why do you think we watch these shows? And, and, and this is what they said to me. You know why? Because it feels like my life is on trial. It feels like I'm living my life in a courtroom drama. And I said, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. I feel like I constantly need to present evidence in my life that I'm living well, that I'm living right, that I have dignity, that I have value, that I'm doing it well. I always feel like I have this need to produce evidence that justifies how I live. I'm like, yeah, you're exactly right. That's how I live too. We see this embodied a little bit in social media. Like I, I po- make about one or two posts a year. And, but you know what? I'm like, oh, hey, somebody liked that. I'll check it every eight minutes now for the next week. We do that. We want people to like us. We want people to evaluate and justify what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're living. When we do this, we will always build a false assurance. Why? Because what you're looking for is validation for how you live. Right? I live better. It's always horizontal. And you're going to build a false assurance this way. I live better than other people. I work harder. I'm smarter. I have better education. I hang with better people. I have better politics. I love people more. I'm more caring. I care about what matters most. These are the things that we think 
to the things that we want to believe about ourselves, and they will always build a false assurance. And here's what's common to all those. I. I. First John is written to a church that is having division about who the person of Jesus is. And instead of necessarily dealing with all that head on, here's what he says. I need to give you assurance. I need to give you assurance. The whole thesis of the whole letter is this. 1 John 5.13. We talked about this last week because we put up a little graphic. You could kind of summarize the whole book, and this is what we're going to stick on. 1 John 5.13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may have assurance. He uses that word 39 times in the book, that you may know. And how we know that we have eternal life, how we experience assurance and confidence in life, in our relationship with God, is not just eternal, it's external. As we confess God, as we confess Christ, as we confess sin, as we obey his word, and as we make the difficult and risky decision to love others as Jesus has loved us. This is what the first John is all about. And as we do those things, those objective things, the Spirit of God builds into internal assurance. And he wants this for us. He wants this for you. So we're going to open up the text. It's It's a very short verse today. But can I just ask you, do you feel like your life is on trial? Have you put forward any good evidence lately that justifies Maybe against other people, yeah. But is it good enough that you'll be accepted by God? You may not say those words to yourself, but you think about them. And how does that change how you live? So here we go. This is going to tell you some things about God, specifically about Jesus, that it's going to make you really uncomfortable. So this is good. I love verses like this. Here we go. 1 John 2. And it's going to be just the first two verses there. We'll put them up on the screen. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I have a great need to be valued and to be accepted. Everyone here does. There's no way, there's no way I can finish that story. Lord, as we open up your word today, would you open it up for us that we might behold its beauty and its truth, that it might look into us, Lord, and build us into the people that you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you are here last week, 1 John talks a lot about sin, so much so that it makes you nervous. In fact, he said things last week that would cause some people to just reject a little bit or even recoil. He says, if you claim fellowship with God while you walk in the darkness, also known as sinning, if you do that, you can't really claim fellowship. You're like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. I thought it was God's work. Yes, but, but he says this. We have to let the tension of the text hold there. And we learn that our call is to walk in God's light. 
And we learned a little bit about God the Father. He said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we also learned that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So last week, as we began to dive in deeper into this letter, we see we need to take sin seriously. Well, that's no fun, but we're feeling the pressure of that. Why? He's very clear. Because sin separates you from fellowship with God and from one another. There's no broken relationship in this world that doesn't have at its center broken sin. Sin causes brokenness both vertically with one another or horizontally with one another and most especially with God. So this week, he's going to turn on us. and He's going to show us what happens when we confess, when we walk in light. What is happening with, between God? What's happening as he's engaging us in our confession? And here's what it's going to stretch you to this week. You're, you're going to have to take grace seriously. You're going to have to understand God's work and his grace in your life in a way that you maybe have never even considered. Why? Because only Jesus restores fellowship. There's no other way to restore fellowship with God the Father if it is not in relationship and specifically weighing on or laying on what Jesus has done for you. Not just what he has done for you, but what he's doing for you right this minute. And this is where it gets uncomfortable. So do not despair. This is, this is the big theme of today's text. Because you can walk out of last week's text and say, wow, I just felt the weight of my sin. And you can despair. In fact, if we don't despair in sin, we probably haven't heard it right. So what we're hearing today is don't despair in sin, but rather draw near to your advocate. You have an advocate, so don't despair in sin. Draw near to your advocate. And it was very clear how we do that. So let's walk through that together. So the first is this. If we're not, if we're not going to despair in our sin, but rather draw near to our advocate, who's Jesus, we have to understand a few things about what's going on here. And the first is this. Jesus covers you. He covers you in his word. Does that mean I should believe his word and follow him? No. You should, but that's not what that means. It means that Jesus is right now actively covering you with his word. Um, before we even jump into that, just look at how this verse starts. My little children. Uh, this, is, this is really showing us the heart of the author um, First, uh, John, as he's speaking to this church, uh, it, there's a break in the flow and the force of the text, and it really shows his age because John is old. He's writing to this church, and it shows his affection and his urgency for this church. I know this as a dad. Um, sometimes when I'm like laying the law down with kids, well, they're older now, but we still have to do that sometimes. Um, there's a time sometimes when you just stop and you're like, hey, can we, can we talk? Hey, kids, just Here's why. In fact, I mentioned last week how my, my granddaughter got bit by a copperhead, and many of you have asked about her, so I'm going to have to bring it up again. She's good. She's fine. She's walking. She's healthy. Uh, but I, here's the rest of that story. The rest of that story is this. I have watched her mom and her dad say, you got to wear shoes when you go outside, country girl. And she would sometimes just rile and scream and fight and not want to do it. In fact, if you ever see her in Puerto kids, she always rips her shoes off from the minute she gets in the classroom. So she... There's a moment where you're like, sit down and say, baby, listen, you're going to get hurt. No, I'm not. And then she met the copperhead. Now she knows, right? Pain, side note, pain does this. It will teach you to trust God alone like nothing else. And now she probably listens to her mom and dad for a little bit. Um, Mommy was right. Put the boots on. Copperheads are not our friend. They hurt. 
So he's coming to us in urgency, but in affection. And he says that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's the assumption. You're going to sin. Wait a minute. I thought he said last week, um, if anyone does not walk in the light, yes, but that doesn't mean you're not going to sin. That means you're honest. That means you bring your sin front and center to God himself. So the assumption he's making here is that you will sin. In fact, remember last week, if he says, if you say to yourself, I don't sin, um, you're you're lost. So Jesus is our advocate. Let's understand that. Jesus covers you with his word. How? Well, we don't see this word very much in scripture. Where we do see it is in earlier writings, even before the New Testament in Greek culture, and an advocate with somebody, it's a lawyer, it's somebody who will represent you, somebody who's called alongside you to represent with you, who will stand in judgment with you, who will make your case and make it effectively. Uh, This person intercedes on your behalf. In fact, we see this word used for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will send a helper. It's unique to John's gospel and 1 John, this epistle, and it's used for these two roles. So it's used specifically of God, God the Holy Spirit, and God, the Son, Jesus. So he is an advocate. How is this? How can Jesus be our advocate now? Let's just walk through a few ways that the text opens up. Um, well, first, this is Jesus' calling. He didn't change his major or change what he's going to do. Remember, when he shows up on the scene in John's Gospel, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who is here to take away the sin of the world. So this is his calling. This is his role. He comes in as an advocate. Secondly, he is qualified. Um, this is what this text says. It's, it's not just Jesus as an advocate, but Jesus the righteous. So he is right before God the Father. He walked in the light. Right? He walked without sin. He fulfilled the law, not just obeyed the law on our behalf. He fulfilled the law. He walked in faith, God the Son, with God the Father. And it was not easy. And God's, he's placed God the Father's will above his own. We see this in the garden. Not my will be done, but your own. So he's called, he's qualified, and he's present. A lot of times when we listen to the Easter story, we're like, hey, that's great. Jesus died for my sins, and he resurrected. Now, I'm not going to worry about that until I die. No, no. He is resurrected. We know this when we walk through Acts. He's the risen king. He publicly ascended to the right hand of the Father. That was a public event. His disciples saw that. So he is on station right now. You are meant to see power. He's executing his role as king of kings. So he's present with the Father, and and he's your counselor. Can I say that? He's advocating for you. That's one of the roles he has as the risen king. Um, You know what an advocate feels like. A lot of times, you know, if you haven't had to hire a lawyer, um, that's great. Um, I'm not going to tell you whether I have had to or not. That's my business, right? But... um, Here's what an advocate feels like. I remember when my neighbor got me my first job. He worked at 7-Up Bottling. He knew me. He, like, advocated for me. He got me in there. He got me one of the good jobs. And then when I started screwing stuff up, he was like, hey, don't fire him yet. He'll come around, right? I know him. He lives next to me. So he advocates on our behalf. This is what Jesus does. Let's expand on that a little bit more. He's not just advocate, but he's intercessor. This is one of his roles. Uh, the Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans 8. You've heard this before, but this is speaking exactly of what First John is talking about. Uh, Romans 8, uh, ch- chapter 8, verse 34, he says, Who is to condemn? 
This is legal language. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is, present sense, interceding for us now. He's advocate. And he goes on to say, who shall separate us? If Jesus is advocate, if he's interceding for us actively, what, who's, who's going to separate us from God and his plan for it? Nobody. Uh, Hebrews 7 picks up on that as well in verse 25 and saying, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? He lives to make intercession. Have you ever thought about this? He lives to make intercession. So, as we think about Jesus and his word covering you, his advocacy, it's dynamic. Jesus has acted, hear this, this is where you have to wrap your head around it. Jesus right now is actively responding to your circumstances, to your needs, to your prayer, to your weaknesses, to your strength. He's responding to that and also to his will. That's happening right now. It's not just dynamic, it's ongoing. He says, we have an advocate. Now, right now, you have an, if you are in Christ right now, you have an advocate. Could, could you imagine that there is a conversation going on in the heavenly realm at this point between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that involves you? Does it make you nervous? I have a pastor friend of mine, a um, good friend, and this will help put some light on this. They have adopted a special needs kid, and it hasn't gone great, quite frankly. And this kid's in school, and she's falling behind. And the school district has money and uh, um, events, uh, um, money and things to help with this child, but they've said, no, she doesn't qualify. She falls behind. She doesn't qualify. And they spent the last several years advocating for her, trying to get this done, trying to get her in, trying to get money, trying to get her to a special academy that can help her. The school board's like, no, no, doesn't. So he hired counsel. He hired a lawyer. And you know what the lawyer said? He's like, what should I do? He's like, nothing. Don't say anything. Don't talk. Rest. I'll get, I'll get to you when I need you. He called him in. A couple months later, they went down and sat with the school board. Everything changed. Oh, well, Mr. Pastor, we have found out that your daughter does have special needs. In fact, we've set aside $80,000 for her. She's going to begin these special classes, and she's catching up. That is exactly what is happening with Jesus and God the Father. You are advocated for and the effectiveness of his counsel rides on his character. He is Christ the righteous. So wrap your head around that. He's covering you with his word at this moment. And this is meant to give you great confidence and great assurance, especially in how you personally approach God in prayer. So you cannot despair in sin. You must draw near to the advocate. And the advocate is Christ Jesus. Um, yeah, he covers you with his word. More to the story. Because he's not just speaking, he's presenting evidence. He's presenting evidence. So Jesus doesn't just cover you with his word, he covers you with his work. Because talk's not enough. Can we be honest? Words are not enough. So verse 2 says, he is the repitiation for our sins. So before we get to that word, notice this. He's not presenting evidence, he is the evidence. It doesn't say he brings propitiation or he makes note of propitiation. He is the propitiation for 
our sins. So now we're going to do word of the week, propitiation. So I just have to bring something to you, friends. Listen, if you're in relationship with the eternal God and you yourself are finite, and most of you are in here, I hope. So you, this is going to put you in a situation where you have to learn. As a follower of an infinite God, you're an eternal student. You're never going to know everything there is to know about God. So sometimes that means we learn hard words. And I, I want to bring this to you because precision matters. When you're in relationship with God, how you understand him is very key. And so we want to understand this word. Now, in your Bible, it might say propitiation. It also might say expiation, or it might say atoning sacrifice. All are basically good words, but there's some distinctions there we want to pick up on. Atonement is more, think like at-one-ment. It's God reconciling to you through um, the cross. It's more of the whole idea of salvation. But propitiation and expiation pick up on two sides of the coin that we want, to pick, we want to understand. So let me just define it really quick. What is propitiation? It means a fully sufficient sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. So a propitiation is picking up on this idea. Jesus bore the wrath of God, really, for your personal sin and turned God's wrath into friendship and favor. So the outcome of propitiation is it makes an enemy an heir of God. So hold that in thought. But it's, it's really difficult to pin what he's saying, either on propitiation or expiation, because there's two sides of the coin. One is objective. So Jesus is propitiating God, not you. So his work is towards God the Father. But when it comes to cleansing you from sin or making your sin an expat in your life, if you will, expiation, he is directed towards you. So he's really both sides here. So we're going to look at both of that because this is experienced by God the Father and also experienced by us. In other words, this, you need to have forgiveness and feel it. You need to know what that means. You need to have forgiveness and you need to experience that forgiveness in your life in real time. So... Um, how does God's work cover you? First way, it removes God's wrath. Um, and this is, this is Jesus working towards God. Uh, let me explain it this way. Have you ever walked in the room with somebody who's really hurt you? And I mean did damage to you in whatever way. And you weren't expecting them to be there. And you walk in the room and you stop. You look at them, they look at you. You have a decision to make. I'm going to leave or you're going to leave or we're going to do business. Normally we leave, right? It takes the air out of the room. That, my friends, is what wrath feels like. It feels like a real wound between people. And Jesus' work removes that wrath from God. His death fully absorbs and satisfies the just wrath of God towards our personal sin. See, this is why Jesus on the cross isn't just a moral example. He's not just showing you what to do. Friend, he's rescuing you. He's satisfying the wrath of God. He is serving as your substitute. And the risen king now is advocating for you, applying the work that he did by pouring out the spirit of God and letting you trust him. So know this, I know this is hard. We're going to talk about this in a minute. How can a loving God be wrathful? But if you are unwilling to see the wrath of God on the cross, if you're like, no, I just can't go there, you don't get to see his love either. Because there's no way to remove God's love from God's wrath. Let me explain it this way. That snake that bit my granddaughter, so what we did is we, we, we petted it, and we said, we know you didn't mean it, just living out your truth. And we put him back in the, no, we didn't. He's dead, right? 
He's dead. This is dad anger. All these models break down, so don't, please. This is one of the burdens of being a man who's a dad. My kids will look at me and imagine that's how God loves them. I don't love, like, you know what I mean? So dads feel that burden, but dad anger. Um, My granddaughter's dad had wrath toward the snake. The snake was killed and then burned in a fire pit. (laughs) You cannot love without also hating. You cannot love your daughter without hating that that destroys her and damages her. It's impossible. God's love also includes hating all that stands against what is good and what's right. What about mercy and forgiveness? Yes. Yes, it's there. So how can a loving God be wrathful? Listen, God is not some angry ogre that needs to be tamed. It's not the picture we get. Here's the picture we get. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit conspiring together to secure your abundant life. That is the picture we get in Scripture. Prove it. God the Father is the initiator here. Don't forget that. In this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent. God is the initiator here. God is the initiator. His love is the initiator of redemption. But God's wrath is just and it's poured out on Christ. And if we're not allowed, if we won't let ourselves go there, one of two things has to happen. You have to minimize or compromise God's holiness and say, eh, you know, God's pretty loving. I'm sure he wouldn't care if I sin. It's not that big of a deal. We have to minimize his holiness or we have to minimize our sinfulness. One of the two has to happen. The cross does not let that happen. God, God is not winking at your sin and sweeping it under the rug. He wants to pay for it, and he wants to rip it away from you. Just like that snake was destroyed. He wants that. He wants that. Um, and the outcome is this, that you are a child of God. Right? First John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. You're fully and finally forgiven. Okay? So this is the work of God for you. This is what God is, is, Jesus is doing to cover you with his work, removing the wrath of God, but also removing your sin. It's got to be personal to you. This is where we get the word expiation. You ever heard of a scapegoat? Anybody? Yes? Do you know that comes out of the Bible? Out of Leviticus? Part of the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur? When, when Israel, all of Israel was atoned for, one of the things they did is they would take, at the end, right, they would take a goat after they did the sacrifice. And this is another goat. And they would symbolically transfer the sins of Israel onto this goat, and it leaves. Out of the camp. Get it out. This is what Jesus does with you as you trust him. He will remove the stain and the corruption of sin from your life as you're willing to walk in the light, as you're willing to trust him for this. This is subjective. This is with you and for you. This is you experiencing true forgiveness, right? You understand this. The weight of sin is pulled out of your life. Uh, This is you experiencing true freedom. If you're willing to trust Christ, sin no longer is a master. 
The power of sin, the back is broken of sin. It no longer makes decisions for you. Its power to bind you and to blind you is gone. Now You're still going to fight it to the death, but you know that you have victory in Christ. And you also experience recreation or newness. This is expiation. Sin is no longer a natural resident. So you will be at war with walking in step with the Holy Spirit or with your own desires. That's what it feels like. That's a subjective feeling of of Jesus' work in your life. Let's land this. It's fall. I love fall. Don't you love fall? You know what I smelled this week? Burning leaves. Walk with me. Burning, I smell burning leaves. It makes me think of college football, which makes me think of home, which makes me think of mom and dad, which makes me think of the fireplace. And it just take, it feels like home. Right? You, you, when you smell certain things, boom, it, it triggers a memory. And that happens with God too. Israel was called to certain sacrifices of animals. And in Leviticus 15.3, it says this was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When he smelled that, here's what he smelled. Trust, repentance. They're trusting me. Ephesians 5.2 says, And we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering. So Jesus is not just speaking. Jesus is actively presenting evidence to God the Father in this way. He's your righteousness. He's not making the case that you're righteous. He wouldn't do that. He's making the case that you are righteous in him. His work is enough. You're unified to him through faith. And God delights in it, friend. Do you know this? God delights in this fragrant offering of God the Son giving himself up willingly for us. He, and he even delights to give the Son to us. He delights in the Son's love for the sheep, us. And he delights in your willingness to repent and to draw near to him in faith and full assurance. That smells good. It reminds him of home. So you cannot despair. And maybe you are. You have got to draw near to your advocate. This is what the text is asking of you because Jesus is covering you with his word. He's your advocate and he's also covering you with his work. He's removed God's wrath. He's removed sin from you. Are you willing to live in that world? So the question I'm asking you is this. What courtroom drama has more influence over your life? Your life on trial? You trying to prevent, present evidence to you and everyone else? You trying to secure your own rightness before God? Or the earthly counsel? Jesus as advocate. Are you trying to cover yourself? Are you doing that? Are you resting in the work of Christ? So repentance looks like abandoning sin and embracing Jesus. And I don't care if you know him, you're never going to stop doing it. And if you don't know him, do it now. Jesus is not theoretically representing you. Don't forget that. He's truly, 
truly representing you. This is the Jesus I speak of. He was tempted. He was rejected, even by his own friends. He was overlooked. He was misunderstood. He was abused. And when he went to the cross, guess who was there? Nobody. He went without advocate. He did not succumb to evil, and he did this personally for you. Are you willing to get in on the conversation that Jesus wants to start with you right now? I, I need this advocate. I, let me just ask you a few questions. Are you tired and exhausted of trying to live a life that earns God's trust? That, that, are you tired of bringing your own righteousness to the table? Are you terrified of how God sees you because you have willingly sinned? And it's going to happen. Maybe you haven't prayed honestly in years because you feel abandoned by God. Or here's the most dangerous one. You're like, not really. I think I'll be okay in the end. Draw near to him. Draw near to him. Be honest with God. Bring him your sin. Don't despair in it. Don't live in it. Let his word cover you. Let his work cover you. This is what God is calling us to do. And it's not just for you, friend. It's not ours only. It's for the entire world. We're not alone in this. God has been doing this for a long time. Draw near to him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a way to know you fully, that we might draw near you the blood of the cross that you would intercede for it you are interceding for us right now you are advocating and that you are a fragrant offering before God the Father let us learn to live in that Jesus let us learn to live in that it is in your name we pray amen